Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We're here in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Canucks with the big 4 nothing win on Roberto Luongo night at Rogers Arena. Just as we called it on the pregame show yesterday, Sat, Thatcher Demko would channel his inner Roberto Luongo, and he did that very much so last night. Channel the excellence. So, uh, you know, your your selection went through, of course. The Canucks only allowed zero goals. You said under one and a half. And had Thatcher Demko making 28 saves, and he made even eight more with 36. So, you know, betting on Demko on goalie night was the right right way to go about it. Uh, the uh, listeners were all uh, Mike Singletary-ing us, uh, being like, I want winners! And uh, we gave them a couple winners. So uh, we'll try and carry that into tomorrow when the Canucks are visiting the Minnesota Wilds, and we'll have uh, the pregame starting up at 10 a.m. on Saturday. You can also watch on Sportsnet Pacific. As for today, we've got Yannick Hansen coming up, plus a mailbag. So if you haven't got your questions in yet, at Satyar Shaw, still a little bit of time to try and uh, get those in at Satyar Shaw on Twitter. So a lot going on after last night, and we'll get into some of the uh, topics from the game as the Canucks continue to build towards the playoffs, Sat. Yes, I'm saying that even just 30 games in. But they did make yet another trade today because uh, not a week can go by without the Vancouver Canucks somehow dipping into the trade pile of the National Hockey League. And 53 minutes ago, uh, the Canucks announced that they had traded Jack Studnika to the San Jose Sharks in exchange for a sixth-round draft choice in 2024, and defenseman Nick Cichek. Uh What do you make of this deal? The latest from Patrick Alvine. Wheeling and dealing, Patrick Alvine. Well, I, I think we've all been conditioned to assume that one trade is going to lead to another because that's kind of been their MO, and the last time <laughs> yes. they acquired a draft pick was uh, the fifth-round pick they got for Anthony Bevilier, and then a short while later flipped that and uh, a third-round pick, a future third-round pick to get Zadorov. And we've all gone through what they've done in the past, whether it was Hamannick, then getting Dermott, trading Bo, getting picks, and getting Hironic. So I think all of us are kind of wondering, what are they going to do with these with these extra draft picks, right? Now, one thing, and I've quickly asked around, and now it doesn't mean the Canucks are not going to do other things. We know they're active. They're going to try to do things. But the main reason this trade went down, from what I gather, is the Canucks wanted some more organizational depth on the back end, especially in Abbotsford. They've had a number of injuries. Um, I think when it came to Studnika and where he ranked in the pecking order, it was pretty clear that he wasn't really going to be a guy on, on this team, especially with some other guys you know, lining up to get in there so that they can shed his money, get a draft pick, and also get a player who has some physicality, has some toughness, has some size on the back end, and C-check, who, listen, he's not really NHL depth. He might be able to play some games for you if you need be at some point, but I'm not really banking on it. I think it's more about getting that organizational depth, shedding some money, and getting a draft pick. And all in all, considering they're addressing a need for Abbotsford, uh, the fact you get a pick out of it and save yourself almost $700,000 in cash, it's it's good business. It is good business, and, uh, you know, I mean, we've talked about how this team hasn't had uh, a lot of misses. Uh, you'd say Jack Studnika is somebody they went out and acquired and gave up a real prospect uh, for in, in Jonathan Myrenberg, who, you know, uh, I, you know, recently signed a two-year deal uh, to stay in the SHL, but, you know, he's a 20-year-old right-shot defenseman, moves the puck pretty well, and is playing in the SHL at 20 years old. So there's there's something there. He's just still a ways away from being an NHL, uh, even getting an NHL look, really, if that's even on the cards for Jonathan Myrenberg. That being said, now I, I always admire a front office that is uh, willing to move on from their mistakes quickly or understand that they've made one and, you know, try to rectify it as best they can after they've made it. And this one, you know, not to say that giving up, you know, right shot defenseman prospects is nothing because, you know, those are always nice to have for sure, but it is more on the minor end of a of a mistake you can make in the National Hockey League. Yeah, and, and, and it's a you know, one of those uh smaller type of deals that we're talking about here to give yourself a little bit of depth, but I don't think it, it necessarily is one of those things where you look at it and say 
now with Studnika, is it admitting a mistake? Maybe to some degree, but it's I think it's more about like does this player truly fit where we're at right now? And and look at the guys they have in Abbotsford, especially you know they got Lafferty who's been so fantastic with his fit. Niels Hoglander's taking a step, playing a lot better. And last night the guy who was healthy scratch was Niels Olman, who also plays center. And then you start looking at. The players down in Abbotsford right now, we all know a player like Vasily, Vasily Putkolzin is somebody that the team is high on and, and still believes in. He's kind of knocking on the door. You saw Linus Carlson get called up and play a little bit. Atu Ratu scored a few goals. He's moving forward. Arstie Baines still leads that team in scoring. And then you still have guys like Max Sasson, who they like and that they think is taking a couple steps and showing a little bit of something. So I just think in the pecking order of things, Studnika kind of just kind of got lost in that type of shuffle. So if you're able to get something back in return, why not do that at this point? And yeah, Myron Berg is a player that we'll all see what he turns out to be, but he was a fifth round pick and now the Canucks essentially turned him into a sixth round pick. So it's not the worst way of um, allocating your assets, even if it didn't quite work out as you had envisioned when they first acquired uh, Jack Studnika. And as we mentioned, maybe the one trade they've made uh, that hasn't quite worked out the way they had hoped. Yeah, so uh, that that's the move that the Canucks have made. And uh, as we're being notified on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox by GURP and seeing on uh, Twitter from a uh, friend of the show, Arif Dean, the Colorado Avalanche have sent Thomas Tatar to Seattle for a fifth-round pick. So uh, Thomas Tatar not working out in Colorado. He's off to being a member of the Seattle Kraken in exchange for a fifth-round draft choice. So a couple of wheeling and dealing moves going on around uh, the Pacific Division right now. Something to keep an eye on moving forward. But... As for the Canucks, when Patrick Alvine isn't wheeling and dealing, he's watching his team win hockey games. Now 20 wins through 30 on the schedule. It's rather impressive, I'd say. And there's been a lot of impressive parts to this. And I know a lot of the questions and, hey, it, it feels like anytime we talk about the Canucks, it's like, well, what about the PDO? And it's just like, uh, we need we need to get over that at some point. <laughs> Honestly, uh, the best tweets I've saw on the PDO, there's a few. There's that, uh, what is this? Uh, there's that PSA thing about yes. the guy who acts like he has a heart attack and then you know pulls the gun out and said, call the ambulance, <laughs> but not for me. I saw somebody do that and say, PDO's coming, but not for me, for the Vancouver Canucks. And Jamie Dodd nailed it. Um, with with his Simpsons one as well, so make sure to check that out on Twitter. I, I thought I thought the memes on the PDO regression stuff was fantastic last night. Uh, this is a team that just will not regress in uh, in the PDO category as uh, they are moving their way back up towards the 1.05 mark. But nonetheless, it is uh, impressive the way that they've been able to put uh, put some wins together here and go through this five game homestand and come away with four consecutive victories over. Some pretty good hockey teams, especially Florida, probably the best of them, at least with the way that they've performed this year. And while, you know, you, you still had uh, some tough moments against Sasha Barkov and others, you know, through the first 40 minutes, the Canucks were full value for at least having a lead. Maybe they they didn't necessarily deserve the 4 nothing lead, but I thought uh, they were the know. better team through the first 40 minutes. So so I actually think they should have been up 5 or 6 nothing instead okay. of being up 4 nothing after the first. I mean, Elias Pettersson had an incredible scoring chance, right? Yeah. And, you know, and Bobrovsky made an incredible save on him. And then uh, they had Teddy Bluger on that breakaway chance on the PK. Had a couple other opportunities, and, and none of Demko the had really... to make a couple of big saves too, though. You know, it's no, hundred percent. Like... No, yeah, sh sure, fair enough. But I'm just saying, like, I, I don't think. I think the four goals, like which one of the goals were actually lucky? I guess Bobrovsky giving the puck away, but it's a wide open net. Dakota Joshua puts it into the second Dakota Joshua goal. You know, he bangs a rebound in in front of the goal. Um, the Kuzmenko shot is a great shot chance into the slot and yep. he nails it. And um, so, I mean, you go through all those goals. Brock Besser's off the power play. JT Miller five, five on three on goes three. downhill. You're probably going to score on a five on three. Right, so it's like I don't, I didn't view any of those goals last night as being lucky, and I know by the percentages, sure, shooting percentage was high. It's another PDO type of game, but I, I look at it and say if they would have missed a few of those chances, we talk about how they weren't burying their chances. So I'd say none of those goals were really, oh, they got lucky to score. I mean, Kuzmenko, I mean, he's in, in cold on Bobrovsky and just puts it past them. It's uh. It's the thing I don't really want to do, like argue about the semantics of the game, <laughs> but we ended up doing it anyway, so it, it, I'm here for it. it it's uh, it, the, the third period is kind of what got me um, yeah. uh, really sort of like not in on the conversation where it's like people are getting angry about the third period and 
Yeah, I don't think anybody is uh, making any uh, excuses for them in the third. But uh, again, score effects are a real thing, right? And they, maybe they sat on that four nothing lead a little bit more than you'd like, but they had a four nothing lead. So, um, what would you rather be, the team with a four nothing lead, or the one that's trying to throw the kitchen sink to get back into the hockey game? I, I think I'd rather be the team that's up four goals in the third period, right? So that's well, the way yeah. I look at it. I'm with you on that. And in the third, yeah, you can do some things better. You have the 4 nothing lead, whatever. And, and the coach obviously talked about things they can improve. But even by, by the metrics, so to speak, I mean, the Canucks had 10 high-danger scoring chances to 9 through the first 40 minutes. And overall scoring chances were 17 to 14. And then the third period, of course. But again, the score effects going in. So uh, I view it as, we'll talk to Yannick about this, and I wouldn't be surprised if Yannick uh, wasn't as enamored because he probably holds him to a high standard and probably views that third as not being great. But... I, in the moment, I never felt through the first 40 last night that, hey, the Canucks were in value for being in front. They were value for being uh, at least in front. And, you know, it, it it's impressive the way that they are winning in the bottom six. Um, but there are some things about the top six that I think still need to be ironed out as you go on. We'll get to that. But let's give the man his due. You know, he scored a hat trick <laughs> earlier this week. Yeah. He got his 22nd of the season last night. He cannot stop scoring. For whatever Andre Kuzmenko has lacked in goal scoring this year, Brock Besser has picked it up and then some. He scores again. And I, I know we've talked about Brock a little bit, but, you know, he's always been sort of after. Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and JT Miller and even Thatcher Demko at different points this year. But here is Brock Besser, you know, right in the dogfight to win the Rocket Richard. And he's always still lurking in the shadows of the rest of the core four. And it's funny because today we wanted to start the show talking about Brock Besser, but it just seems like something just always knocks him down. So instead of being the lead, today was a trade that was the lead, and we talked about the game a little bit, and here we are talking about Brock Besser. It seems like every time he does something, another story somehow overshadows him being, you know, the front-line discussion. And that just kind of feels like the season and the way it's gone. And it's a positive in many ways, right? It happens because there are other stories that are more compelling. There are other stories that are more positive and have been... Uh, capturing the imagination of the fan base but Brock Besser is in the hottest streak of his NHL career and if you're an optimist and somebody who, who always believed in Brock Besser and we've had our doubts and concerns and questions about him especially with how his game has had trended negatively the past couple of years but in some ways you can look at Brock Besser and say this is now the player we all envision him being a few years ago. Sure, he's writing some percentages, but this is the guy we thought could be a 30-goal scorer year in and year out and be more than somebody that can give you a little offense here and there. He could be a complete hockey player, at least close to a complete hockey player. And to me, that's the most impressive part of what he's done this year. Sure, he's getting the numbers, but I think we're seeing him play that complete game and score, and that's something we haven't seen him do like this before. It's... Uh... A tale a lot of coaches will try to tell you, but I think you see it very much in, in Brock's game, how he started winning in other areas of the ice, and it's led him to more goal-scoring opportunities. And because of that, he's getting into more shooting positions, and he's getting better opportunities, and he's converting on more of those opportunities. You know, when he wins a board battle and, and maintains possession, that's good for the Canucks. That's going to mean they're, they're creating more offensive opportunities. He's got nine power play goals this year. We've seen him score in different areas on the power play. It's not as stagnant as it was before. He'll, you know, fly out to the left half wall and be able to take that one timer every once in a while. We'll see him get into the bumper and get that quick snapshot off from the low high play that they've done so often and used to do with Bo Horvat. But there he is winning net front battles and getting rebounds as he did last night. We've seen that a bunch this year as well. And it's, you know, that ability for Brock to find soft ice and also win a bunch of battles everywhere on the ice. Uh, that, that to me is, is why you're seeing a better version of Brock Besser today than we've saw than we've seen really in the last two seasons. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because we had the discussion with Jim Rutherford um, about, you know, JT Miller this year. And one thing he mentioned was, well, last year, Bo played with JT and um, Bo had a really good year. And this year, Brock is playing with JT and he's having a good year. And yes, some of that goes to that. But I think in terms of his goal production too, is 
he him on the power play now, like he is a bigger focal point. You know, and and somebody had to step up and and really take charge of that position on the power play that Brock that that Bo Horvat was was really handling, and he was so and, and effective and good in, in the bumper spot. And it's not like Brock is scoring the same types of goals, but he's scoring a lot of his goals in and around the net, right? So I think that has been a huge part of getting his offense going. But I think every time with Brock, it's one of those things where. Why is it that there's some hesitancy when we talk about him, right? It's, he's only two points back of Pedersen. He's got 36 points. Pedersen has 38. He has twice as many goals as Elias Pedersen does. Yet the discussion around him is a bit more muted. People are still kind of wondering, hey, what is it going to look like when his, when his shooting percentage goes down a little bit? Is Brock Buster still fast enough? Is he a guy who's going to be here long term? How does that all fit? So what are the, the biggest hesitations you have or people may have when it comes to Brock Besser and his long-term fit here? Because I just find it interesting for a guy who's been as prolific as he is, still kind of is a bit of an afterthought. I'd love to hear what the what the listeners think. 650-650 if you are listening live on uh, what your feeling is on Brock and why maybe he hasn't gotten as much love as his stats, his goal scoring maybe deserves right now. I think it simply comes down to the uncertainty of his long-term future. Mm -hmm. And we come into the season and Patrick Alvin is, is announcing Quinn Hughes as, as the captain of the team. And he lays out, you know, the rest of the core and it's JT Miller. It's Elias Pettersson. It's Thatcher Demko. Brock Besser is sort of always played, number five to those guys in the core four, whether that's fair or not. It certainly was fair coming into the season, but has he done enough for you to say, yeah, I'm ready to sign this guy up to a long-term deal and have him truly be a part of what should be a pretty good couple of years here in Vancouver. And that's where I think this still falls a little bit short because as good as Brock has been, I'm not sure he's won over the opportunity to to truly remain a Vancouver Canuck longer term. And, you know, realistically, if he's going to sign a long-term contract after this one's done, be pretty much a Canuck for life. And I, I don't know if he's done that yet for me, Sad. So I think it's fair, right? And I think the biggest reason for that is, you know, he'll be next, he'll be what, 28 years old when he's a free agent after next season. And at that point, signing a six or seven year contract or let's say he wants an eight year deal you're right it probably ties him up for the majority of the remainder of his nhl career i think the biggest sticking point honestly isn't going to come down to what type of money is he going to be able to command mm. and if you were looking at hey what's a way where the canucks could keep brock Besser, you're probably looking at it and saying well can they pay him slightly less than what he's making now for longer term and then you have a player that can be an effective efficient contract for you but where it gets sticky, and the reason why Brock also got $6.85 million for three years on his contract and why that AAV seemed too pricey based on you know his 18 goals all of last season and him not being quite the same player, was his counting stats, his goal-scoring rate for his career, and he's missed a lot of games. We've always talked about how he hasn't hit 30 goals, but he's been on pace to hit 30 goals a couple times, just hasn't been healthy enough to do so. And the years he was healthy, he didn't score enough to get the 30 goals. But if you look at his goals per game rate... Like it's pretty high up there. Let me ask you and our listeners, who's a better player, Brock Besser or Timo Meyer? Well, at, at his peak, Timo Meyer, I, I would say, is, is one of those rare, real power forward types. He hasn't been that since he got to New Jersey. But, you know, um, overall, I, I'd probably say Timo Meyer. And I, and I think that's fair, right? And, and maybe a player who's just slightly younger too, but a, a power type player score, has scored 30 goals a few different times and he was on pace for like a 50-goal season at one point. However, Brock Besser's goals per game rate is 3.7 versus 3.4 per game for Timo Meyer, and Brock Besser has a higher point per game for his career than Timo Meyer does. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that Brock Besser is a better player than Timo Meyer, but it, what it means is the type of money that Brock may be able to command, the reason why he was able to get the contract he did get, which people thought was too per much, 6.65 per year over three years, is because his rates have been very favorable to some of the top scorers in the NHL the last little bit. And those guys get 8 to $9 million, 9.5 million even. Jeff Skinner and him, somewhat comparable. Now, Jeff had hit 
Skinner had hit 30 goals, hit 40 when he signed his contract. But what if Besser gets to 40 this year? Yeah. And if the Canucks want to talk contract with him with, with one year remaining on his con- on his current deal in the summer, what numbers is Ben Hackinson going to be throwing out his agent? Like, what are they going to be looking for here potentially? And that's where it gets sticky with Brock. It's like he's been fantastic, and I'm I, and I, I'm – team let's give him more credit let's talk more about Brock like I I think he deserves a bit more shine but in terms of how he's going to fit here long term unless he's willing to take you know significantly less or you know at least a little bit less than what he could get elsewhere is he pricing himself out because can he say no to a team that's going to be you know dangling eight million in front of him potentially after next year and his scoring rates could demand that if he gets a free agency his scoring rates Look, you score 40 goals. Uh, I don't care who you are. You're going to be in the conversation for uh, probably (laughs) seven plus million for sure. And maybe even beyond that, uh, you're looking at an eight million per year type of contract, especially with where we are headed in the salary cap era where, you know, caps going up and up and up next couple of years. And that's going to factor into how Brock and his agent view their future. That's what makes this really tough. You know, right now, you know, the way the Jeff Skinner scenario played out, Carolina traded him a year out from unrestricted free agency. He went to Buffalo, scored 40 goals, and signed a $72 million contract. I, I mean, that's even though Skinner has kind of figured it out the last couple of years, that's still a, a very difficult contract to work around for a winger, even if you know you feel that winger is is very good. There are very few wingers in the league that I feel are worth – that kind of money and I'm not like I'm not ready to go there yet with Brock Besser and so while I love the statistics while I love what he's brought to the team this year and how he's really upped his game upped his preparation upped everything that he's done how he's leveled up in every area this year been a part of the Canucks matchup line as well so you can't even knock his two-way game all that much I'm I'm still let's I'm still very much in the let's see how the rest of this year plays out before we get into long-term contract thoughts with Brock Besser. And you're right. And and honestly, the Canucks can't really do anything anyways. They can't really negotiate yeah. a contract with him until they get to July 1st anyways when the final when he gets into the final year of his contract. Then they can you know explore an extension if they so wish. But that's, I think, going to be the big question around Brock. I, I think there's no question that he's been fantastic. He deserves more credit than he's gotten. And even if he's riding some shooting percentages, of course, I mean, any guy who leads the league in scoring at this point or is second in league scoring with 22 goals in 30 games will be riding some percentages. Like, he's not, he's gonna, he may not score 63 goals, but does he get to 38? Does he get to 35? Does he get maybe to 40 goals by the end of the season? And if he does, it just changes the dynamic of what you might be looking at. And the other question I have about Brock is, is this the peak? Like, is this the single highest peak we'll see from Brock Besser as a player because he's being trusted in every situation mm-hmm. the only thing he's not contributing to is, is a PK and they don't need him to play the PK really he doesn't fit his skill set but that's really the only situation where he's not being used he's on the shutdown line he's out there late in games he's playing first unit power play he, when they need a tie and goal he's out there trying to get it as well there is almost no other situation other than the PK you can expose him to and he's excelling in all those areas is this the peak or is there even more to his game I would, you know, well, this sort of ties into to my question mark about the team as they continue to win, but it's more, okay, now I'm grading them against the other top teams in the league, and I still see this top six come up a little bit short against other true top lines in the league. You know, we can grade last night's game, and realistically we grade it as, you know, one that the Canucks deservedly got the win over the Florida Panthers. But at different points, Sasha Barkov and that top line of the Florida Panthers took over and Thatcher Demko had to save everybody's bacon in, in order to keep the puck out of the net. We saw Jack Eichel come into town and really dominate against the Canucks' top two lines. We saw it with the New Jersey Devils. We've seen it at different points. When you're going up against the true best of the best, which is what's going to happen in the playoffs, you know, this top six has still... like They haven't always passed the test. I'll say that much. And Brock's a part of that conversation as much as anybody else is. JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, and all of them. And I think that's an area where I, I, I still think Brock's a part of it, but the entire top six we need to see more from as the season goes on. 
Yeah, and we have a lot of reaction on this on the text inbox. Brian from Burke Mountain, very hesitant to extend Brock. Paying $8 million for a winger is tough. Uh, this one says, I think Brock has won me over. Tobias from Port Moody, but his future is still shady in Vancouver. To me, it depends on what he does in the playoffs. And I think that's a good way of looking at it, something Rutherford alluded to. What does this team look like in the postseason? And how about this one? Would you rather have Brock or Hyman? His price and contract will be similar, I feel. Brock is clearly a more talented goal scorer offensive player than Zach Hyman. But in terms of what the organization is looking for, would they prefer to have a Brock type or a Hyman type? And I think that's what's an, what's intriguing about what the organization truly wants and what they're looking for. Yeah, and uh, Hyman, look, he's worked out really well for uh, the Edmonton Oilers. He's been great for them this season, despite you know their sort of mediocrity, uh, their, their mediocre record in general. But even, you know, it, it, this is why it's so hard to go with points when you're when you're thinking about a contract for a player. And where I think some teams get into trouble giving wingers a lot of money, like Mark Stone, Brock Bester's got a higher goals per game than Mark Stone. Mark Stone makes $9.5 million on the salary cap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mark Stone is one of the best two-way forwards in the game, and there's a little bit of that built into his contract, but most contracts are you know, dependent on the raw numbers in order to figure out where the average annual value and the total value of that contract goes. And Brock's... Like the way Brock is headed with the season he's having, he's up there with the best of the best almost of any winger in the league outside of, you know, the the true point scorers like Nikita Kucherov or Temi Panarin and those types. And uh, that like but right now he's scoring like just a tier below that, which is pretty impressive. No, it is. It's very impressive what he's doing, right? And And I think part of it is – if this was a few years ago, I think the conversation around him would be, man, like this is the guy that Canucks have been wanting. He's finally putting it together. And there are other players above him, right? Now, you know, people are messaging and saying, hey, Elias Pettersson gets a pass, but Brock Besser doesn't. And here's here's a reason why Pettersson will at times get a pass. We're talking about Brock playing his best hockey of his career, right? He's got 36 points. We're talking about Pettersson, who's been a bit uneven at times the past 10-15 games, some good games, some not-so-good games, and he still is sitting there at 38 points. So Hughes, so Pettersson, not at his best, is still a prolific scorer, whereas other players at their best are producing, but not still at that same rate that Pettersson is. And I think that's why those types of players will oftentimes get more leeway and more cushion in terms of, all right, we're, let's see where this goes, because the, the track record is greater, especially coming off a 100-point season. If Brock was coming off a 30-goal year last year and he's doing this now, it's a, it's a totally different discussion around him. We'll get into uh, more of this conversation, plus uh, Yannick Hansen's thoughts on uh, Roberto Luongo night at Rogers Arena. That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts value. I see a treat in my future. Awesome, Claire. The Bonus Redemption event runs December 15th to 20th, in-store and online. Exclusive to Shoppers Drug Mart. It's your chance to get more free stuff for your points. And free feels good. Restrictions apply. Unhibernate. Redefine winter fun with Subaru all-weather capability. Visit your local Subaru dealer and welcome to Uncommon Winter Confidence. Hello, Stevie Curtis here from Willoughby Chrysler. Curtis, give me two hot deals for December. Okay, Stevie boy, how about the new 2023 Jeep Gladiator for 59.9 plus tax, and you get the new bike. Woohoo! 96 months at 6.9%, 377 every two weeks. Woohoo! New 2023 Hybrid Grand Cherokee, only 79.999, and yes, you get an e bike too. At 6.9% at 96 months plus tax, 509 every two weeks. E bike Gladiator for $509, Willoughby Chrysler, where friends truly do mean more than money. Is your hive buzzing for the season? Zarbies is now in Canada with a range of syrups for babies and kids that can help relieve cough or support the immune system. Find it at major retailers and help keep your hive going with Zarbies. To be sure any Zarbies product is right for your child, always read and follow the label. Picture your money. What's it doing? Imagine if it was being saved somewhere that not only profited you, but helped others too. Imagine if it was helping protect our planet, our people, and our communities. At Van City, it is. And all while helping you meet your banking needs. If you like what you're picturing, visit vancity.com slash imagine and see how we're reimagining banking for the better. 
Indian Bombay Bistro Burnaby is ready to serve you delicious Indian food and drinks at your holiday gathering. Give them a call to book your private dining room today for Christmas parties or New Year's Eve. Details at IndianBombayBistro.com. We are your home of the Canucks. Brock Fisher again. That's his fourth of the hockey game. What a night for number six. Sportsnet 650. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw in the Kintech studio. A lot of uh, reaction coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. We'll get to some of those questions and comments as the show goes on. But a couple of things happening. It is our uh, Food Bank Friday here at Sportsnet 650 as we uh, continue to try and help out the Greater Vancouver Food Bank uh, spread some holiday cheer. They do such an amazing job of being able to help those in need through the holiday season. Of course, their uh, ability, their buying power goes a lot further than us donating even uh, canned goods or whatever we can to the, the the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. Those donations always welcome, but a uh, monetary donation also is encouraged if you are able this holiday season. You can donate online. Uh, go to the homepage at Sportsnet 650, the feature section of our website, or the events page for Sportsnet 650 and also News 1130, and you can donate there via the secure GVFB portal. Also, you can donate by text. With an emoji, $5 will give you a, uh, or a carrot is a $5 donation, a banana is a $10 donation, and a heart is a $25 donation. You can text an emoji to 30333. That's 30333. And uh, we've already raised over $60,000 for today and hoping to get that closer to $100,000 before the day is out so you are encouraged if you are able this holiday season and we appreciate it Uh, for those that are listening on demand the greater vancouver food bank is of course a great cause if you are considering a donation this holiday season all right our next guest it is our friday analyst and he's brought to you by the magnuson auto group metro ford pork coquitlam and magnuson ford in abbotsford on both sides of the fraser to serve you it's yannick hansen thanks for this yannick how are you yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing uh, we're doing well. Team is going well, and uh, last night was a pretty cool night at the rink. Your ex-teammate, Roberto Luongo, gets put into the uh, ring of honor. What did you make of the celebration? Yeah, he deserved everything that's coming to him. There's no question about that. Uh, I mean, obviously, it was uh, plastered last night, but, I mean, he, he meant just about everything to, to the team. Uh, when he was when he was on his game, uh we were unbeatable, um, and again, he carried uh, he carried a lot of weight on him um, uh, that probably were to be put on him. But but he definitely wore it, and uh, like I said, everything he's got coming to him was was well deserved. What did you think of just the way uh, Roberto handled the evening last night? Uh, just with with how the how he described his time in Vancouver, and obviously just being himself and and having the humorous side to it as well. Yeah, I know it's easier now and it's relaxed, and that's that's kind of the the, the guy that we that we saw kind of thing. Uh, where in the media it was a little bit more uh, straight faced and 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 straight to the point, but but no, he's uh, he's great in that scenario as well. Um, and again, it's removed enough from from the game that that he can take it probably a bigger picture in the whole thing. So uh, well articulated and and all these things. So. He's obviously building himself a, a second career here around hockey as well. So you can see that uh, he's in a, in the right setting. You know, we're seeing the current team. Uh, you know, it feels like there's been a little bit of a, a culture change going on. They've they've improved some of their practice habits and uh, improved the the way that they play in game. Right, uh, not cheating as much for offense maybe as we used to see in the past, and and those certain things and. You know, uh, kind of when when you were first coming up in the league, it's uh, you know a lot of people attribute to some of that culture change that went on in Vancouver to Roberto Luongo practiced and his commitment to the game. Do you, do you feel like he had that kind of effect on on those first few teams you played for? Um, yeah, like I said, the, the team that I joined in there was already 
second round playoff, probably yeah. third round. So I, I'd say th- that being said, we don't know where this team end up. But but again, uh, we we will look to 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 do a little bit of damage in the playoff. Yeah, we weren't right at the top uh, of the conference, but but we were we were right there. Um, and and there's no question. Um, his commitment to excellence, desire uh, to win, it, it was it show it show it was shown in practice. So so it pushed the players to try that much harder to shoot to score, um, that much harder to get the perfect shot off, which again turned into the games where um, when you're used to shooting in a certain way in practice, it, it's the norm that you come down and, and you, you you shoot the puck like you hate the thing. And, and you're firing in and you're picking corners because it's the only way I score in practice. So it's just norm to shoot that way in game as well. So it, it's just one of those ways where we've talked about these guys who are setting the tone with the team and uh, all these things. Uh, and again, Roberto was just one of those in terms of how we did that. Other guys, it was different areas, but he, he was definitely right, right at the top there in, in terms of leadership and guys that, that you look to because any given night, uh, you, you win or you lose with your goaltender. If he's not there, you, you stand a very, very poor chance of winning. And most nights he was there. And again, we were winning. It wasn't Lou's fault. It was the team. They played great, good offense, nice plays. We lost, or it was Lou's fault. So so that's where like it warmed him because it, it – those losses, they, they got pointed squarely at, I, I don't want to say one guy, but, but it was on a couple of guys, all our losses pretty much. And when the team won, it was because of the group kind of thing. So like, like some of them, they were definitely leaned on more than, than others, if you will. Obviously, as you mentioned, during Luongo's time here, it was sometimes uneasy. He was blamed a lot at a time, and he even mentioned, you know, it wasn't always about butterflies and rainbows. Like, it, there were a lot of tough moments, like he mentioned. And I think that conversation obviously continued into yesterday, where a lot of people said he should have had his number retired instead of gone going into the Ring of Honor. From a player's perspective, like, of course, you know, having your number retired is the biggest honor, but should it be viewed as going into the Ring of Honor as being a lesser honor? Oh, I would say so. It probably is, and it's not up to me to say whether or not his his jersey should be. T- um, but but there's no question. Um, you, you look at the players that are retired and the guys in the Ring of Honor. There there is there is a difference. Uh, so so I would, <laughs> putting it bluntly, no, it is it is less of an honor to go in the Ring of Honor than it is to have your jersey retired. Um, that being said, it is a tremendous honor to have you going up in the ring of honor so so i'm not trying to marginalize it any bit i'm not trying to say that that he should have or should not have his jersey retired um i just hope that that wouldn't happen it wouldn't be brought up and and we could celebrate him and what he did and what he meant for the city while he was here and 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 worry about that and then if somebody wants to yeah start diving into that let let them but but for now like it's it serves no purpose Yannick Hansen, our guest. So it's you know Luongo Knight uh, filtered through Thatcher Demko last night, and he uh, he carried the torch, channeled his channeled his inner Roberto Luongo as uh, the Canucks beat the Florida Panthers four nothing. And you know we've been looking for this team to to beat some of the upper echelon squads around the league, and you know they just complete this four and one homestand, and the vibes are good again. How good do you think this team is, Yannick? Yeah, again, um, we, we've been watching to waiting to see these teams where, okay, are they going to be able to play up? Still, like last night, yeah, they won 4 nothing. Um, it didn't look great, but they're getting results right now. Um, I'd, I'm still a little hesitant as to how we match up against Colorado and Vegas and these teams. Like, it looks good right now if you're getting the home ice uh, how does a first-round matchup look like there? It looked like that where now I'd be comfortable saying, like, you know what, Vancouver is probably the favorite to win a round, where if you would have asked me two months ago, I'd say, no, we're not a, we're not a favorite to win a, a round in the playoff right now. Making it into the playoff would be a, a big win. So, so it's definitely shifted, and they're looking, they're looking like a team. They're looking like a team who I, I almost I would hate to play them, um, not because there aren't better teams out there, more um, from top to bottom, but but Vancouver have 
the, the thing that you really, really crave, the things you want. You have a number one goalie who can steal you games, who can win. You have a number one and number two centers who can match up with just about anybody. You have a, a defenseman who is arguably the best in the league right now. And once you have these pieces down, if they are pulling, the other guys will follow, and it is so much easier to get them in line. So when you have these guys going, that team becomes that much harder to play against because not only are you trying to match up now, no, it's easy for the rest of the group to just look to these horses and say, they're going, we better be doing it as well. So when you do find a way to shut them down, like it almost was yesterday, didn't matter. Somebody else stepped up, and we got the goal from Kuzmenko uh, playing on whatever line he's playing on these days, um, and two more for, from from Dakota. And that's what you need when push comes to shove, because we've seen it time and time and again. These players will get shut down, and if there's nobody coming from behind, um, then then it's 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 too easy to 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 close down teams. So like they're they're starting to look like a more team oriented couple of guys producing and um when they don't it just falls apart no they're they're getting wins here um in different ways and that that's good to see and i think their ability to find ways to win obviously is something that that we give them credit for but to your point it's one of those things as the season goes on how can you repeat that and how often can you do those things what I was encouraged by more than anything in many ways last night, especially for the first 40 minutes, was they were able to run four lines, and each line was able to really push the pace. And, you know, we can talk about JT in a second, but in terms of Bluger now and with Garland and Dakota Joshua, they were probably the Canucks' best line. And then Pew Suter comes in, and all of a sudden that fourth line with Kuzmenko call it. What do you make when they're healthy of their four centers down the middle? Yeah, that, that's what we've been... Well, and I'd always throw in Lafferty there as well. I know he's playing with Petey right now, but he, he takes some, some draws on the right side as well. But it, it's the best centers we've seen in a long time. Um, from from one till almost five right now. And, and that's a positive because we've seen injuries will happen. And uh, Suter played well on the third line a month ago or whatever it is and like he goes down it's like oh what's gonna happen now because we've seen this story before where team is okay and then somebody goes down and it just kind of falls apart but no Bluger steps right into that line and it's like you don't miss a beat now he comes back in and, and you're actually playing a fourth line which I think some games have been sad a little bit they haven't seen a lot of ice time because you haven't had that center that that uh, coach could trust and then it's hard to throw out the wingers, even though they probably deserve to play. But but if the center aren't there that, that he trusts 100%, that line doesn't play. Um, it's easier if it's a winger um, because they're a little bit more sheltered. Um, but, but the depth down the middle right now is looking better than it has in a, in a long, long time. Miller, uh, JT was was critical of, of his line's play after last night. They, he said they gave up too many great A's to, to Barkov. And, and I guess... Um, you know the question is like it's 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 nice to see that level of after a a four nothing win and um and and all of that but how much better can Miller and and Besser get as a duo as sort of the quote unquote matchup line can they start to to have more success against you know the real true top lines in the league yeah that that's the that's the million dollar question um like like, like he said um they were outshot. They were outplayed. They were outchanced last night. They held their ground. Demko was phenomenal. Um, you don't want to play like that for an extended period of time, relying on your goaltender to, to keep bailing you out. You do want to tilt the ice in the right direction. You want more shots. You want more possession than the other team. Um, so like, you're hopeful that I, I don't expect him to go out and win every single matchup every every night. Don't get me wrong. You'd love that, but that won't happen. Um, but again, the ability to turn it on. So we're playing a, a really, really good player yesterday in Barkov. We go out and, and we see if we can shut this down and if we can dominate. We see Colorado. Let's see what we can do against Nathan McKinnon. We play against Vegas. Let's see what we can do against Eichel, McDavid, and those things. And then when we play these other teams a little bit lower, it's like, okay, we, we're having an off night now, but I, I, I'm wanting to see them now, how they – 
they play in these statement games because like they're stringing against these wins together um, enough now that, that you're starting to be able to almost pencil them into a, to a playoff spot. I don't want to do it early. I don't want to jinx it and all these things, but <laughs> that's where this thing is going. Yeah. So now, now we're starting to look at different things as to how do we match up against these things? How, how can we play against these guys that have been on a tear that are really good that we will have to beat and we'll have to do consistently because it's not just enough to do it one time. You got to do it four times in a series. Um, and these matchups will be key. And you will be leaning on JT uh, a ton, almost no matter who you're going to see. Like, we haven't even seen LA yet and we, and we haven't touched on them yet. But there are three centers Kobitar, um, uh, Dubrow, and. Um, Deneau. Deneau, yeah. They know, like that. That's three phenomenal centers as well. That that that's a matchup hell as well waiting to happen. So like, you you gotta find a way to win these matchups through when you're seeing them here and there in the season as well to see how well do we match up about uh, against these upper echelon teams. And you know, and I think that's that's one of the big questions about this team too. Like, what else do they truly need to to, to really hang with those teams that we talk about being the, the true Stanley Cup contenders? And the Canucks have obviously been very impressive. And one of the questions that that we still have is, how does Andre go into all of this, right? And you mentioned he's playing on the fourth line right now. He scored on the you know he scored on the power play the other night. Scored a goal last night as well. Where do you see his game being at? And can they really afford to keep him there for too long? You need him. Uh, you you need his. He's got he's got an X factor, um, and he's got skill. That if you look around the lineup, like Besser is playing phenomenal right now. Uh, but but Besser is a shooter. Um, Kuzmengo's got skill and skill in spades, and and he can do things not a lot of other players can. If you have a guy like that floating around. In, in your lineup, uh, and yeah, he's not playing the way he was last and producing all these things, but but he is an X factor. He's a thing that can turn the tide in a series because he can explode all of a sudden, score a goal or two, make a couple of plays, and, and that's enough to win you a game. So you 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 need him, and I, I know these trade rumors have been popping up, but like, do do not get rid of it, this guy right now. Um, you need that uh, unpredictability in your lineup. And, yeah, it's probably not the coach's uh, favorite thing to have a guy that aren't uh, playing at 95% every, every night. But come come playoff, you're going to want a guy like this, and then you're hoping that he's on his game. Because he, when he's on his game, he's very, very hard to match up against. When it comes to Brock Besser, I mean, he scores again last night. He's got 22 on the year. He's uh, keeping up with uh, pretty much everybody at the top of the league. And I know we've talked about him so much, but I guess, you know, the question is going to eventually become, like, has this guy put himself into the conversation of being a part of the true core of this roster with Demko, Miller, Patterson and, and Hughes? And, and I, I don't know if I'm there yet to, to put Brock in that category, Anik, as good as he's been this year. No, I don't think so. Um, it's a couple more things than that, but but no, the the other guys are like the untouchables. Um, Brock has gotten off to a very good good start, and he's definitely uh, on the fringe of that core, right outside, uh, probably one foot in the door. Um, but but no, uh, I wouldn't put him in in that category. As far as Dakota Joshua is concerned, we know the head coach was. Um, very critical of his game a bit earlier this season. Healthy scratched him as well. What do you make of the way he's coming along, and is he taking a step from where he was last year? Yeah, I like his physicality. Um, that th- that thing has been missing in Vancouver's lineup for a while too. Uh, he provides some of that. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily deem him nasty, but when there's a big body out there, uh, you know you're not going to get pushed around. And if something crosses the line, you have somebody who can step up, who can almost hang with with everybody you don't have to need uh, to 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 kill anybody or beat them up to a to a pulp in that sense but but just enough to know hey there it will get answered um he he's obviously providing a ton of physicality um when he's scoring as well that's when these players really really excel because now you can't just look at them and then laugh at them and say well you're going to be sitting on the bench you're playing eight minutes a night we won't see you we're not going to bother bother with you anyways 
Um, but when they're producing as well, these guys become a, a matchup nightmare. Like I'm thinking back to the like the Byron Bickles and and those guys in Chicago series where they weren't guys you looked at on the lineup, but but these were the guys that did a ton of damage against us um, uh, with their physicality, and then where they were providing this this scoring as well. So it's it's great to see. Um, before we let you go, Yannick, uh, Jim Rutherford spoke a bunch this week. We had him on the show as well on Wednesday, and you know it seems as though their uh, sense of, of the way things have gone and, and where they might be headed this year is to continue taking a bit of a wait-and-see approach before they decide how aggressive they want to be at, at the trade deadline. Uh, do, do you think that's sort of the right frame of mind that this team should be in? I think you're looking every day if you're uh, if you're in this league and if something pops up you pull the trigger. I as we've seen it's hard to do. So yeah, you're waiting and seeing. But if if something drops in your lap tomorrow and you can upgrade your team, you're doing it. Uh, like I said, did this team uh, almost willing to pencil it in, barring something uh, unforeseen happening? Um, so so you're looking to improving and there's no question they know where the holes are they 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 would love to add a winger they'd love to add a defenseman um are you able to do it what are the price and who's available that that's the that's the big question in terms of uh, availability and, and what to go after uh, how far do you think the Canucks should push in terms of trying to improve the team so far this year are they good enough where you think they should take some risks or do you rather kind of see it let it play out a little bit improve if you can but don't go too all in that's that's where we're like let's see how we do against vegas against colorado now like are, are they turning this four game streak into uh winning eight out of uh or ten or eight out of eight out of ten are, are they putting on a, a real streak here is this a uh we're not just gunning for home ice now we're gunning for for first in the in the conference kind of thing because then then you almost have to take a stab at it because like you said that i don't know if it was you guys or it was big i was talking to last about that window um mm-hmm. that window is open right now there's no question about that these players are uh, playing phenomenally right now you're going to have a number of years um i played on teams that, that where that window was open and, and you're trying to improve it everywhere you can just to get you over the top through that little uh, uh, pin needle there in order to, to, to get you through. Um, so you've got to look to improve if you have a team that you believe can win. Yannick, we, uh, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. My pleasure. Take care. That is Yannick Hansen here on Canucks Central. When we come back, it's time for the mailbag on Sportsnet 650. Don't miss a minute of your favorite Sportsnet 650 shows. Download and subscribe to the podcast and take us on the go. Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. In Langley, watch for a crash on Highway 1. It's eastbound at 248th in the left lane. In Richmond, a car with a flat tire is there on Highway 91 westbound at number 7 Road, but it's over to the right shoulder now. And in Vancouver, crews are still